Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, we're jumping back into James again. And uh, you may know the story. It's quite a, uh, an old story from the, uh, of something that happened in the 60s of Joni Erickson, who uh, as a teenager, an exuberant teenager and a Christian, uh, jumped into a lake, uh, dived into a lake head first and was paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of her life. Um, she, spent, she spent her life actually uh, championing uh, causes for the disabled and she has an incredible testimony of the grace of God in her life. But nevertheless, the question that she's often asked and that many of us often ask is why did that happen? Why, why do awful things like that happen, awful accidents? And you don't have to go so far or so back in, far back in time, do you? We're surrounded uh, by uh, what we call suffering. Uh, every day in Britain, 450 people die of cancer every single day. The numbers are getting better, but that's not much comfort if you're one of the 450. So it's a very real question that we're looking at today. It's a question... Um, that many families struggle with, struggle with, that you may be struggle with, struggling with even today. Because adversity can come upon us in an instant. Just a phone call. Just a car we didn't see coming out of the road. Anything can happen. Well, we're back in the book of James just for a couple more weeks. And uh, we're looking today at this uh, topic just in the next 15-20 minutes of suffering. As always with James we find that there are almost as many topics as there are verses in James. But he, he deals with a lot, he jumps around a lot. And here too, um, if we look at the passage that was, uh, we were going to look at, there's actually three different topics. There's, uh, there's the topic of uh, justice in the green text there, which we, I'd love to talk about that on another day. Then in the blue text there, he goes to patience and suffering, which is what we'll talk about today, not to, so, so as not to overwhelm us. And then he talks about squaring an oath as well. But let's uh, go into this passage. I'm just going to read this passage from about verse 7. Um, James chapter 5 then, from verse 7 to around verse 11 or 12, something like that. Okay, great, thank you. So James says, and the, the editors have put the heading Patience and Suffering on. And James says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, against one another brother and sister, or you will, will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So James' words to the New Testament churches at the time are on suffering here are very timely. And also in James 1 he talks about suffering and he says, Blessed is the one who, who perseveres through trials. And in fact, the, the Bible has a lot to say on the topic of suffering, why it happens, and what to do when it happens. And um, it's very timely because the, the, the Jerusalem would soon be destroyed after James's writing. And even before that, there would be great persecution on believers. And furthermore, um, some of the New Testament writers believe the second coming of Christ was imminent. 
that which placed an even greater sense of urgency on this persevering, enduring. So overall then, James is writing to churches that have considerable experience of suffering and will have more. Uh, Real-life churches with real-life problems. And certainly the question of suffering, why do people suffer? Why does God allow suffering? Is one of the biggest questions of our time, isn't it? Uh, One of the major objections, maybe the greatest objection to the Christian faith, well, if there is a God, why does he allow suffering? Why is there so much bad stuff? Is a, is a big question that's out there. And what do we do when there is bad stuff? So today we'll, we'll deal briefly with both of those in the time we have. First of all, I'll step through these really short verses from James and just tease out a couple of truths and then we'll move on from there. And hopefully at the end you'll have something to help you when you face adversity, maybe even today if you're facing adversity, something practical you can take away. The first thing James talks about then in uh, verse 8 or 7 to 8 is uh, patience. And uh, let me just read verses 7 to 8 again. So be patient, he says, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crops, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, he says. A farmer, he's talking about farmers waiting patiently for the rains. And in Israel, the rains fail, fall mainly in two, type, two times of the year, two different uh, seasons. The autumn rains, which are called the early rains, and the spring rains. Uh, after the autumn rains, the land can be plowed, and after the spring rains, hopefully the harvest can be taken in. Uh, but the farmer has to wait. And just as the farmer waits patiently for these two rains, says James, sometimes we just have to wait for God to answer. It's not easy waiting, but we just have to wait. God uses times of waiting, and we'll talk about this. So waiting is one thing James says about uh, suffering. And the other thing he talks about is enduring, endurance. Not just waiting, but enduring. And he talks about, he only briefly mentions Job, the Old Testament character, uh, who in fact endures great suffering, tragedy after tragedy. You may know the story of Job, that basically he loses his livestock, his cattle, then he loses his home, he loses his livelihood, he loses all his family in a terrible accident, and then he himself becomes really ill. He loses everything. Uh, and whether you take the account of Job as a story that God has given us to learn from with great truth in it, or you take it as literal truth, the point is the same, that basically Job, he cries out to God, but he never blames God. And in the end, uh, God greatly blesses Job. So these two ideas in James, then, waiting and enduring. But moving on from that, what do they mean for us? What about us? What is our response when the phone call comes from the consultant with bad news? What is our response when uh, the chronic illness we have just won't shift What is our response when the long-awaited pregnancy just doesn't happen? Or the thing that we long for in life, it's just not coming. How do we respond? Well, there are many understandable but incorrect responses out there in the world and in the church sometimes. Let's just go through three incorrect, unhelpful, and naive responses to this question of suffering. First of all, people in the midst of suffering might wonder if they suffer because there isn't a God anyway. This is our first incorrect response. Uh, As Dawkins famously said, we live in a universe of blind, pitiful indifference. Suffering happens. Get used to it. 
We live in a universe of blind, pitiful indifference, he famously said 15 years ago now. That's the first one we can reject as, as people of faith, as Christians. The second response, which comes closer to uh, uh, believers actually, is people are suffering. If you're suffering, it, you've done something wrong. It's because of the sin in your life. Uh, you've led a bad life and that has resulted in, in the tragedy and pain. And in fact, the disciples made this mistake. In, at the beginning of John chapter 9, they find a man who's blind and they say to Jesus, is he blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, it's nothing to do with sin. It's nothing to do with it. That is also an incorrect response. And the third incorrect response is sometimes, um, we've heard it in the church, I haven't, haven't heard it in this church, thankfully, Sometimes people say, well, you're ill because you're just not, your faith isn't strong enough. Just believe more and you'll get better. Your faith isn't good enough. It's not strong enough. It's something wrong with you, which is also naive and actually really unhelpful as well. So what then is our Christian response to suffering? What's the right response? Well, the first underlying thing before I go into that is I will say, remember, underlying all this is a God who has a deep and personal knowledge of suffering himself. The right at the heart of our faith, and it's unique among faiths, it is unique, right at the center of our faith is a God who suffered and in fact died. Right at the center of our faith. So that puts a different perspective on everything. It means God knows, God understands what we're going through in, in a unique way. He, had, he went through deep personal suffering himself. But then what is our response? And also, I think what is interesting, what does the gathered wisdom of the world say on suffering? Because it's not just a Christian thing. People are suffering all over the planet. And I think it's great when there's a big overlap between what the world is saying and what the Christian faith says. I think it's even better when we see the world running to catch up with what the Christian tradition has been teaching for centuries. And this is what we will see. That um, usually, often it's the other way around, and the church has been left behind and is running to catch up with something in the world. But on this topic, the world is running to catch up with the church because there are simple principles which the world is discovering, but which we've had in our faith, in our tradition, in our theology for centuries. Doesn't mean we're good at doing them because we forget them, and that's why we're going to talk about them today. But they are there in our faith. Uh, and so last week, in our um, men's uh, breakfast group, uh, Richard brought, brought us this video, which was a TED talk by a, a lady called Dr. Lucy Hone, and it was called uh, The Three Secrets of Resilient People. Lucy Hone, actually, uh, she's a really good speaker. She's a resilience expert, and uh, she is, she's in New Zealand. It's Christchurch, New Zealand. And she has worked with the U.S. military on developing resilience. And she's worked with uh, people who've suffered trauma in the Christchurch um, earthquake of, uh, I think, over 10 years ago now. More importantly, Lucy Hone herself has undergone great personal tragedy. She shares at the start of the video how she lost her, her, her daughter, a 12-year-old daughter, in an awful car accident. And she was left thinking, I'm supposed to be the expert in trauma recovery, in resilience. What am I going to do? So it's a very authentic talk. The link for it is in the notes underneath this video. 
And she, she goes through the three secrets. And I thought, great talk, really good, really genuinely good talk. But aren't those three secrets what we've been teaching, what our tradition has been teaching anyway? Aren't they part of a Christian theology anyway? So here in brief are the three secrets of resilient people and why I think they're part of our Christian tradition. So secret number one, she said, is resilient people realize and accept that bad stuff happens. Resilient people realize and accept that bad stuff happens. It may be strangely obvious, but just reflecting on that fact has been proven to help people recover from trauma. The suffering actually is part of the normal course of being human. Uh, why, Why do bad things happen is a recent question. We ask it, they never asked that centuries ago. People suffered from pestilence, disease, war, hunger. Your life expectancy, if you got through all that, was only 40 anyway. So saying, why do do bad things happen, was was just a daft question. Life was full of bad things. It's only in our modern, clinically perfect world that that we ask this question. But suffering is part of life. Uh, Adversity is part of being human. And just thinking of that can help and has helped. There's nothing wrong with you. You haven't done anything bad. It's part of human experience. Rather than saying, why me? We should sometimes ask, why not me? One one of our daughters was very ill a long time ago. And and I said to Alison, I remember saying, because we didn't think she'd survive. Why why has this happened to us? And she just said, well, I just think, why not us? There's no guarantee that bad things won't happen to Christians. And in fact, our Christian theology is very, very clear on this. The world that we live in today is broken. The world God created in Genesis 1 was perfect. Teeming with, teeming with life, bursting with color, beautiful, resplendent, perfect. But the world is broken. It broke very quickly because of sin. That's Genesis 1. You go to Revelation 21, and God will once again restore a perfect world. There will be a perfect world with no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. The old things have passed away. Perfect world at the beginning, and it will be made perfect. Genesis 1 and Revelation 21 tell us that. But right now, we're living in the middle times, in these in-between times, when we live in a world that is broken, that is traumatized. And just getting our head around that, that fact that adversity happens, it's part of life, actually helps people. The second thing she said, the second secret of resilient people is that resilient people don't ignore the negatives, but find a way to tune into the good. Resilient people don't ignore the negatives, but find a way to tune into the good. Or her quote, which I thought was brilliant, she says, don't lose what you have to what you've lost. Don't lose what you have to what you've lost. And she ended up in this part of the video saying, The thing to do, she said, find three good things to be grateful for each day. Find three good things to be grateful for each day. And in the past years, particularly particularly the last 10 to 20 years, there's been a number of scientific studies that now prove, beyond any doubt, that gratitude is good for us. Being grateful is good for our mental health. Lots of studies say that. But thankfulness is nothing new for us as Christians. It shouldn't be. We're supposed to be thankful, giving thankful in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, but giving thanks in all circumstances. Even before a meal, simply saying thank you for the food can direct our our, our thoughts to gratitude. And as Christians, we have someone to say thank you to, which I think is great. And doing that can shift our thoughts from ourselves to our maker. 
So again, very much part of Christian tradition. One of the big, biggest contributors to my well-being has been trying to get into the discipline of giving thanks. I'm not good at it, but I try to remember. Give thanks for good things that do happen and actually good, bad things that haven't happened. That illness I didn't get, that accident I probably should have had, but I didn't. And there's another question, I think, because the, the question out there is why do bad things happen? And it's a big question, but there's another question which I've never heard anybody ask. But I think it's an equally valid question. And that question is, not only why do bad things happen, but why do good things happen? Why do good things happen? Why should there be a beautiful mountain view? Why should that, that, that flower have that incredible fragrance? Why should there be the smile of a, a beautiful smile on a baby's face? Why do good things happen is an equally valid question that we should think about sometimes. The universe doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe you anything. There is a lot of good things happening. So it's, it's always uh, satisfying, as I say, to see the secular world running to catch up with Christian thinking rather than the other way around. It's part of our tradition, but it's a discipline. We have to get into it. Some people keep a prayer diary, which I think is great, a great way of remembering what, what you were longing for and what's now happening. Or just do it in prayer. Three things to be grateful for each day. Reflect on them. See how it changes your mental health. It's proven to be good for you now. And the last one, which isn't quite as obvious as the other two, perhaps, uh, that Lucy Holm talks about, is she says, whatever we do when we've suffered adversity or trauma or loss or bereavement, ask, is what I'm doing helping me or harming me? Whatever we're doing in our day, is what I'm doing helping me or harming me? Again, simply asking that question can put you back in the driving seat if you're suffering. We talk in, in, the, in our faith of perseverance. It was in the passage of perseverance. I think Lucy Holm takes it a bit further and says, here's a way how to persevere. Here's how to persevere. Ask, is it helping me to hold on to this unforgiveness for that person who caused the accident? Is it helping me or is it actually harming me? Is it helping me if I've lost someone to continually, every day, look through these photographs? Is it helping me or is it now actually harming me? Be kind to yourself. Be kind to ourselves if we're going through suffering. Find the actions that help me. And that goes hand in hand with persevering. So, not in the video, in the, in the Lucy Home video, but in Christian tradition there is more. And there's one other thing I would say uh, about suffering before I bring it to a close. That, um, and I've said it before, God doesn't cause bad things to happen. God doesn't cause suffering. It's part of the brokenness of the world that we're in. The post-Genesis 1, pre-Revelation 21 world that we live in. God doesn't cause those things, but God often brings good out of those things. God often will bring good out of suffering. If nothing else... He develops us as Christians, as disciples, and he develops our Christian character. If we never, ever suffered anything, how would we develop perseverance, endurance, empathy? How would we develop courage, valor, character, if we never suffered at all? So God doesn't cause that, but God can bring good out of it. So, there are... Uh, Lucy Holmes' three secrets, I recommend them. I recommend if you watch it, you think, actually, this is part of what we Christian teaching is anyway. Uh, well, we just need to do them, don't we? And then last of all, let's remember as Christians 
Last of all, let's remember as Christians, we carry something inside us which trumps everything. These techniques are helpful, but there is also something else that we need to hold on to because Paul called it a treasure that's within us, a treasure in clay pots. We are like clay pots, earthen vessels, and clay pots become uh, marred, become scratched, uh, become damaged, even become broken. Our lives can become broken, but the treasure inside never breaks. It is there forever. Christ in you, the hope of Christ, the meaning, the purpose, the direction that we have will always be there, whatever happens to these earthen vessels. We are vulnerable human beings, but carrying something which is neither vulnerable nor breakable and can never be extinguished. And Paul talks about this several times, always to the Corinthians, which is interesting. And at this one point in Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he talks about this treasure. He says, because we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And then he says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but never abandoned. We are, we are put down, but never destroyed. We always carry in us the death of Christ, so that the life of Christ may be revealed in us. Let me think about those words. Let me say them again. Paul says we carry this treasure in jars of clay within us to show that the all-surpassing power is from God or not from us. And then listen, he says, in life, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but never abandoned. We are struck down, but never destroyed. We always carry in us the death of Christ so that the life of Christ will be revealed in us. Victory in Christ is what you and I carry today, or what Paul called Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray, Father, for people, anybody today, Lord, who feels that they are going through the mill, whatever it is, trauma, suffering, illness, bad news, Lord, and there's no way that we can deal with these things glibly or simply. And so, Lord, I ask you to be present in their life today. Watch over them, Lord, today. Comfort them, bless them, strengthen them, heal them today, Lord. And thank you, Lord, you give us this hope that is in you, this hope of glory, Father, that we are hard-pressed on every side, but never crushed, that we are sometimes perplexed, but never in despair, that we may be persecuted, but we are not abandoned, that we may feel struck down, but we are never destroyed. May we be a people, Lord, that always carries in us the death of Christ so that the life of Christ may be revealed in us, in our lives, and to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.